Friends, if I could have your attention, I got ahead of myself. I know we are beginning our white cross work, which our hospitals in Africa depend on, the bandages and so forth. As that begins, it's an opportune time for us to show you and remind you of the wonderful white cross ministry with this brief informational video. Following that video, we'll open God's word together. Let's let's enjoy it. For decades, White Cross volunteers have supported the healing ministries of the Cameroon Baptist Convention. White Cross now supplies many different items, but the small rolled bandage remains iconic. For us, it's just a little thing. We are getting together. We have fun. And we hope that God will give the blessing for every roll and every bandage that we are making Old linens cut or ripped into strips and rolled up and boxed up and shipped half a world away. In Cameroon, these rolled bandages help make quality, life-saving care affordable and are a tangible expression of Christian love. Many of them contain a verse of scripture. I'm talking with our chaplain the other day and he was there at the bedside as the bandage was unrolled, the scripture came out and he shared right there with the patient, John 3.16, the, um, the patient, after the, the chaplain read the scripture and prayed with the patient, and they moved on to the, dressing the next person, person's wound, said, uh, could you come back and help me understand more about what you're talking about? Over one million patients served this year, and the need is growing. Our hospital is growing very rapidly, so we are stepping up the consumption of these items regularly. What we used to use last year is not is no longer a safe quantity to keep this year. We hmm. are doubling as time goes on. White Cross has been important in the past. It is important now. It will still be important in the future. So we want to thank the women uh, in North America that actually work on assembling the White Cross getting it ready for the use, for use here in Cameroon. ministry and as they made the point the need is not disappearing uh, the need is increasing and yet in our local churches we find that as many of the traditional women's mission circles have uh, have uh, transitioned into just a more modern style women's ministry that often in many churches white cross is falling by the wayside and yet uh, it's it's such a practical expression uh, a tangible expression of God's love. And I encourage you to take part in the White Cross ministry in the times that are being made available to us. All right, everybody, open your Bible this morning with me to John chapter 15, the Gospel of John chapter 15. We continue a series of messages in which we focus on the names and the titles of Jesus. As we remind you each week, in our day and age, by and large, our names are simply labels to identify us. 
Uh, many of them, if you read them in the book, uh, you can find the, the etymology, the history of a name, and find out what the original meaning was. But rarely do we pick names because of that. Oftentimes, they're just family tradition. There are common names in our family. Or they sound good to our ears. Or they all start with the same letter. Some families do that but they're just primarily labels. But in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well, as we see Jesus, for instance, changing the name of Simon, his disciple, to Peter because of the meaning of Petros as a rock. Well, in Scripture, the name reveals who the person is. When you speak of the name of Jesus, you're speaking of the person of Jesus himself, his entire being. But the name also gives us a window into character, even destiny of a person. Jacob, he fulfilled his name because it indicated that he would be one who was a cheater, who would try to put one over on other people. And he lived much of his life by that principle. And only later when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord did God change his name from Jacob to Israel. Names are important, so... If they're important, how important would the names that Jesus ascribes to himself or scripture refers to him? As I said, the idea for this came throughout the Christmas season because we refer to Jesus in prophecies. He was prophesied as Emmanuel, which means God with us. But he was told, his parents were told to name him Jesus, Yeshua, the Old Testament name Joshua, that God would save his people. They all have meanings that are deep and important. And so these names help us to understand not only who Jesus is, but how we respond to him, how we need to relate to him. Remember, we talked about Jesus as the bread of life, one of his great seven I am passages in the Gospel of John. And what do we do with bread? We consume it. It gives us life and strength. And we celebrate that at the Lord's table as Jesus broke the bread. Jesus is our bread of life. Jesus is also the good shepherd. And what do we do with a shepherd? We follow him. We are the sheep of his pasture. Last week, we looked at the common phrase, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And that name, the anointed one, revealed to us that Jesus in himself had all the anointed ministries of Scripture, prophet, priest, and king. And we relate to that by claiming him as our king, attending to his word as our prophet, and trusting him and praying in his name as he is the perfect intermediary, the bridge between sinful man and holy God. All of this is in the Christ. Well, today we come to another name, another allegorical name, a title, and the last of Je Jesus' seven I Am passages in the Gospel of John. Now this passage you'll see, it'll have the three little letters ESV, and that means it's from the English Standard Version. And that is one of the more modern, literal translations of the Bible. It's the one you see in most seminaries and Bible schools. Uh, and uh, it flows a little different. I think the NIV Bible still reads more smoothly uh, in English, but the ESV is very accurate to the original language. And I'll tell you why I'm going to read the passage from John 15 largely from the ESV this morning. The first passage we see there is John 15, 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, 
and my father is the vine dresser. In the NIV, that's gardener. But the word is vine dresser. Now this is important because Jesus is telling us something important about himself, as we'll look a little later, but also his father, the vine dresser. When I was a boy growing up in San Jose, California, we lived in a valley. Some of you who've grown up on the prairies can't relate to being always surrounded by hills all around you. It's like beautiful green walls, especially in winter when the rainy season would turn the hills from uh, summer gold to green. But if you're close to the hills, my favorite site in Santa Clara before it was known as Silicon Valley and became smoggy and industrial was the vineyards. Those hillsides were rich soil, and the way they drained, they were perfect for growing grapes. They were vineyards, and there were great wineries in the hillside that grew the famous California wines. That's not just up in Napa County, but it was also a little further south where we lived. And what I liked is that in winter, when everything else was green, those vineyards, which are green in summer, they changed colors, and they were brown because the branches and the leaves were gone, but the vines remained. The grapevines were those gnarled trunks that many of them were decades and decades old. And throughout those winter months, the vine dressers, they would do be doing their work. They would work on those, they would cut away the dead wood, and they had to be expert in cutting so that they would reap the largest harvest possible. In fact, the greatest vineyards with the most expensive grapes and, and vintages, they won't let a vine dresser put blade to a branch unless they have trained them two to three years before they make their first cut. It's that important. They take away living wood, to maximize the growth of certain grapes. They take away others, so the, the energy is focused. But they take away the dead wood as well because disease and parasites would multiply in it. Jesus says if he's the vine, that life-giving vine, his Father, God the Father, is the vine dresser. He is the one in our lives as Christians who prunes away those things that, that hinder us and hold us back in our Christian life. Well, that's a study all to itself, but I just wanted to touch on that at the very beginning where Jesus says, I am the vine. My father, he plays the role of the vine dresser. So the vine, what you see there is a beautiful illustration. That is springtime in a vineyard. That vine, the old gnarled trunk, it has been all dead looking all winter. It looks like a stump. It looks completely dead. But every spring, those branches, they burst forth and you see the life coming from the vine into those beautiful, fresh spring green branches. We, in this allegory, Jesus says, are the branches, he's the vine. So the allegory, the allegory of the vine and the branches. Of course, an allegory is an extended metaphor. It's a figure of speech. It tells us something earthly that we can understand. We can picture it in our mind when Jesus tells us this. But it teaches a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. This is Jesus explaining to us your relationship to Him as His Savior, as our Lord and Master. 
He's our Savior, and how we relate to Him is illustrated by the allegory of the vine and the branches. Again, I'm reading from the, the English Standard Version. Let's begin once again in John chapter 15. You can follow along in your NIV if you're holding it in your hands. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may be more, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The vital relationship of the believer to our Lord is illustrated between the vine and the branches. Now, when you're looking at a vineyard and it's in full blossom, the grapes are there, the leaves are out, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's hard to spot where the vine ends and the branches begin. The vine dressers know, but to our untrained eyes, we often don't see it. But it's a distinct relationship. And I think that's one of the reasons Jesus, in his perfect wisdom, chose the vine as an illustration. So I asked the question, why did he do that? Why a vine? Why does he call himself the vine? Well, part of that is that relationship, that difference between the vine and the branches. The first thing we want to take note of is that Jesus is the vine because the vine is that which lasts season to season, year to year, decade by decade. The vine is lasting. The vine is lasting. We see that, for instance, in Scripture referring to Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Remember recently we were with John on the Isle of Patmos and he saw Jesus, the risen Lord. Revelation 1.17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Eternal One. The vine is lasting. Jesus says, I am the lasting one. And yet we as the branches, what are we? The branches, we're but for a season. We have our brief moment in the sun, a brief season of life, and quickly it passes by. That is a piece of wisdom that Scripture reveals to us. Help us to number our days right that we may gain a heart of wisdom. For instance, Psalm 103, familiar passage. Verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. Literally, God is saying, we're here today, we could be gone tomorrow. Make the most of today. Live your life with eternity in mind. 
We are, if anything, mortal beings. Our physical bodies all too soon age, grow old, and wear out. You can't hang on to this life or the things of this world. Christ is lasting. The branches, we are but for a season. Also the vine, it is the source of the life. Those beautiful green leaves we saw, those that life exhibited there comes from that vine. It looks old all winter. It looks dead, but it is the source of life. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that He is the source of life. He says, for instance, I give them, speaking of us, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of My hand. Our life our spiritual life is a gift from God through our Savior Jesus. It is from Him. I look at those vines and we look immediately at the leaves and we look for grapes. But the life, it's in the vine. That soil is rich. It'll have the bright minerals and nutrients, but the soil's not alive. The sunshine and the blue sky, it's necessary. The energy from the sun is converted into the sugars in the grapes. But the sunshine's not alive. It's the vine that combines those and in the vine is life. Jesus says He is the source of our life. It's an amazing thing. And the branches, just as the vine is the source of life, we, the branches, friends, we are dependent upon the vine. We're dependent upon Him. The Apostle Paul, he spoke in Athens. And he spoke in the language they understood. And I don't just mean the Greek language. He went to where the Greek philosophers hung out. He went to a place called the Areopagus. And he spoke to them and even quoted their philosophers and teachers to make a biblical point that our life comes from God. Paul is part of that, quoting those philosophers say in verse 28 of Acts 17, for in Him, in God, for in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of, as some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. We can't exist apart from the life giver. We are dependent wholly, physically, spiritually, Mentally, it all is dependent upon the living God and Jesus as the vine. The reason I brought the ESV in this morning is a little Greek word, meno, meno. It's a Greek verb. And what does it mean? It means to live someplace, to make it your dwelling. It can also mean to remain, and that's how it's translated in the New International Version. I don't prefer that. Because when your Jesus says, remain in me and I'll remain in you, it seems like a temporary situation. Because you're only remaining until you leave. But the original language is talking about a permanent situation. That we make our permanent dwelling place in Christ. We put down roots in Him as His roots are where our life comes from. He is our spiritual address. He's our home. He is where our life is. 
and it's translated, I think, better in both the New American Standard Version and the English Standard Version, the literal versions as abide in your abode. You live here. Jesus is saying, make your life in me and I will make my life in you. It's a beautiful picture. Like Jesus standing at the door and knocking as the letter to the church in Laodicea says. He wants to come in and abide with you. Have fellowship with you in your daily life. And it's a beautiful picture. But how, I ask the question, how do we abide in Christ? What's that mean to live in Him? Well, it's a life work. I can't cover it in the few minutes remaining to us this morning. So I'll just touch upon some important parts of it for us to be aware of. To look at our own lives to ask ourselves, are we abiding, are we living in Christ? First is, He's our Savior. We abide in Christ through salvation. As we read in 1 John chapter 5. Apostle John, concluding his letter, writes this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. You may know that in Christ we have eternal life. That through faith in Him, we are saved. Through believing in Him, we have eternal life. We're saved by grace through faith. Not faith in religion, not faith in churches, not faith in our own good works. All of those let you down. Our faith is in the vine, in the life-giving Savior Jesus. That His sacrificial death on the cross took care of the sin problem in our hearts and restored us to a relationship that was lost so long ago in the garden. We are saved through faith. So that's the first thing. Salvation. That's where your abode begins with Jesus. That's where your life living in Christ begins. The salvation is the beginning of a lifelong process. That process includes transformation. Our transformation, for instance, Romans chapter 12 is a familiar passage. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what, God's, what is God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't be squeezed into the world's mold. Don't let it leave its mark on you and the way you think, the way you act, the things you look forward to, the things that you value, all of those are set by the world around us. How do we avoid that? That's the air we breathe. I think one of the best ways is to spend time in God's Word. The great countercultured antidote is the living Word of God. Then your mind is transformed and you begin to follow different pathways mentally and emotionally. We begin to look at situations with God's eyes. We begin to love with God's love. We begin to address problems with the wisdom of Scripture rather than human wisdom. Spend time in the Word of God and let your thinking and your heart and your attitude be transformed. 
salvation needs to be followed by transformation. And something else that kind of rhymes along the way is you're abiding in Christ when you actively communicate with Him. So communication is important as well. And that is primarily through prayer. Ongoing, continuous, frequent prayer. Communicating with our Lord, the One who loves us. Oh, I love Paul's little short verses in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To be a joyful, thankful, prayerful follower of Jesus. Constant communication. It's like the Brother Andrew book, Practicing the Presence of God. You don't have to have your eyes closed and your knees bowed. That's a wonderful attitude of prayer. But you can pray driving down the highway. Keep your eyes open. You can pray as you go about your daily life. Know that the Lord is by your side. He's in your heart. He's closer than a brother. He is always there. Carry on that sense of His presence, that ongoing communication with Him. It's wonderful. And not only that, communicate the Lord indwelling within us. We know we're abiding in Him because He abides in us. We are filled by the Spirit of Christ. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's a command of Scripture. Be filled. And that is the perfect tense. Be being filled. It's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing life of allowing God to control us and fill us and guide us by His precious Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 says that clearly. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's ongoing in Greek, in the Greek grammar. Be being filled with the Spirit. And then it goes on and spells how that out, how we speak to one another because we are indwelt with the Spirit. But for some people, the Holy Spirit is a mysterious or even confusing a part of the triune God. I think that a good practical approach to the filling of the Spirit is that we can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if we're filled with the Spirit of the age. If we're caught up in the things of this world. We need to make room for God as our Savior, our Master. Andrew Murray wrote a wonderful book. He was a, he was a wonderful teacher and writer and uh, educator. Much of his ministry was in South Africa. But Andrew Murray wrote 200 books, but one of them I remember reading as a young man was With Christ in the School of Prayer. 31 lessons about prayer from the life of Jesus. Wonderful. But in regard to the filling of the Spirit, because Andrew Murray, though he taught and wrote in a Reformed church, Dutch Reformed, in South Africa, kind of old-fashioned, kind of hidebound. But Andrew Murray, he was a spirit-filled holiness man. In fact, a lot of people say he was like a proto-Pentecostal. He was a spirit-filled man in a wonderful way. Andrew Murray said this, being filled with the Spirit is simply this, having my whole nature yielded to His power. When the whole soul is yielded to the Holy Spirit, God Himself will fill it. it. says, less of us, more of God. 
taking my hands off the steering wheel of my life. I am not the captain of my own soul. I have a Lord and Savior. I have a King. And giving that control daily to God. How did the Apostle Paul say it? I die daily. Die to self. Live to Christ. Submission always precedes filling. And then obeying Him from that. Salvation, transformation, communication, inspiration, all of those are part of abiding in Christ. Well, many times we want to skip to the fruit. Pastor Dave spoke of fruit of the Spirit recently in, on our New Year's sermon. But the fruit, that is just something that branches naturally do. If the branches abide in the vine, they will bear fruit. It won't always be a bumper crop. We're all gifted differently. We're in different situations, but we will be fruit-bearing. I believe the dead branches that we see burned up in this passage, those are those who have rejected Christ. There is no life in them. They're trying to do it on their own. They're trying to reach God or reach the spiritual reality somehow apart from Christ. Bearing fruit. That's what puts a smile on God's face. Because when you bear fruit, it is to the glory of the Father. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, down in verse 8. He says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You can see disciples of Jesus by God's fruit being born in their lives. The fruit of the Spirit. That's one aspect. In fact, in studying this, I came across a paragraph from Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite Bible teachers, for decades. And he says this. We often skip right to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but Wearsby says, no, no, no. Or maybe evangelism. All of these. But more. Dr. Wearsby said this. In regard to this passage, he says, several different kinds of spiritual fruit are named in the Bible. We bear fruit when we win others to Christ. It's in Romans 1. But we're also part of God's harvest. In John 4, it shows that. As we grow in holiness and obedience, we are bearing fruit. Romans 6 says that. Paul considered Christians, their giving to be fruit from a dedicated life. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is the kind of Christian character that glorifies God and makes Christ real to others who meet us. Even our good works, our service, they grow out of our abiding life. Colossians 1 says that. And the praise that comes from our hearts and our lips is actually fruit to the glory of God. Hebrews 13, 15. All of this is the fruit that God desires us to bear because it brings glory to His Father. I don't want to end on a, a low note because the Christian life is a life of abundance and joy and victory. But the good news always presupposes the bad news. And the bad news is the cost of rejecting Christ. It's very clear in this passage. The dead branches. They're not good for much of anything. In fact, we won't turn to it, but in Ezekiel chapter 15, there is an illustration through the prophet of vines. What are they good for? They're good for two things. Bearing fruit 
are burning as fuel. It's amazing, that chapter. Ezekiel 15, vines bear fruit, are they burned as fuel. The book of Revelation says that apart from Jesus, the true vine, that there is the vine of the earth. The one day the angel with a golden sickle will harvest the grapes of the vine of the earth and they will be put into the winepress of the wrath of God. The grapes of wrath comes from that passage. Bearing fruit or burning as fuel. John 15.6 makes this very clear. If anyone does not remain in me or abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Bear fruit or burned as fuel. What will be the results of our lives? It's changed when we know Jesus, the true vine. John chapter 3, we often stop at John chapter 3, verse 16. But oh, I love John three seventeen, Why Jesus came into this world. And oh, if you continue just a little bit further, you'll get to the important passage of John three eighteen. Whoever believes in Him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. We already are judged guilty. We are a rebel race. We are fallen humanity. We are separated by self and sin from God. And Jesus alone is our hope. He's our hope. The cost of rejecting Him is that we remain where we were born and raised, apart from God in our sin, headed for a godless eternity. The good news is that it doesn't have to be this way, that there is salvation in the true vine where life comes from, and we can be living and bear fruit. I love the boldness of the apostles as they were brought before the Sanhedrin in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Speaking to salvation. It's found in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. As Peter's filled with the Spirit and speaking to the leaders, he said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Friends, the true vine is Jesus. And He gives His life to us. And He lives in us and through us. We bear fruit that brings glory to God. His kingdom has grown. His children are blessed. Communities are shown practically the love of Christ. Because what's the alternative? We bear fruit. Are we as humans, as vines, cast aside, burned as fuel. One thing you can't do, you bear, you burn, but you can't build with a dead branch. It's not suitable for building a life. Let's ask God to speak to us about these important eternal issues as we close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the vine, the true vine, which gives life.
which alone gives spiritual life. Lord, thank You that Jesus' life flows through us as we are connected to Him through faith, through trusting the grace of God shown to us on Calvary's tree for our salvation. Lord, impress Your Word upon our hearts. Lord, that the fruit we bear is not just for our own consumption, it's for others. But most of all, Lord, may our lives be fruitful and bring glory to You, our Heavenly Father. Lord, this is our prayer, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and sing?
to abide in God this week. Be fed by the vine so that you might bear much fruit in the world around you. Have a great week and we'll see you next week.